everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are. We are the Classic we Gaming are. Brothers. We are. Welcome to uh, episode 54. Episode 54. We are episode done. Episode <laughs> 1 of season <laughs> 2. So, this is going to be the joke going forward, I can tell. <laughs> no, we already dropped the joke in the next episode, though. Oh, did we? Yeah, we definitely did. Oh, well, maybe we could bring it back. For episode 56? <laughs> I don't even know. Pod yeah. time's always a weird time. It's like you're in the future and the past at the same time. That's true. It's like you're Pod in the Twilight time. Zone. Perhaps. The podcast Perhaps. zone. Podcast zone. Well, before we get into the recently played, I want to thank our our listener, Brandon, for giving us this idea about yeah. this episode. So this episode where you already read the title, so you know we're going to be talking about the Virtual Boy. But before we talk about the Virtual Boy, we should talk about what we've been playing recently. So yes. Zach, yes. what have you been playing recently? Seth, I've been playing a little game called Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. For the PlayStation 4. That's fun. Because they remastered yes, it, right? They did. So it's a full HD remaster of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. Both games were originally released on the PlayStation 1 and the N64 in 1999 and 2000, respectively. And uh, it is also the first major game in the Tony Hawk series since Pro Skater 5 in 2015, which had a really bad release. It was really bad. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 was rushed. Just a fun side story. Um, so when the game came out, you put the disc in and it automatically queued an update for the game that was like 30 gigs because it was the entire game. Because oh. the day one patch was the entire game. All that was on the disc was a demo huh. because the game shipped unfinished. Well, at least they had that patch, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, but people who didn't have internet <laughs> did not look out. Uh, <laughs> they got a nice demo yeah so tony hawk pro skater one and two however is a very good game it's actually so far been one of my uh favorite games that has come out this year in terms of games for the playstation in 2020 tony hawk pro skater one and two is as you could imagine by the name tony hawk and the term pro skater is a skateboarding video game and it was uh, developed by Vicarious Visions and published by Activision. Now, Vicarious Visions, um, I have some familiarity with because I'm a huge fan of their Crash Bandicoot remaster, which they're also involved in. I'm, I'm enjoying it. One of the things I like is that it has the entire original soundtrack that's been, of course, also remastered. So you're not listening to like hyper compressed versions of Goldfinger songs and such. I personally used to play the N64 versions of these games, which had the full soundtracks, but they were even more compressed. Right, because so they had to get onto that yes. cartridge. Yeah, so it sounded like when you were listening to the songs on the N64 version, it sounded like you were underwater. Now it sounds like proper, and it's great. I'm also very bad at these games, but I have a lot of fun trying to do skateboard moves that I don't know if they're real moves. I've heard the terms before, like ollie and Ooh. such and grind, but sometimes it'll tell me, like, you did a boneless, and I'm like, that sounds like chicken. <laughs> do, do you remember 1080, the snowboarding game? I do, I do. Was it SSX 1080? No, it was just 1080. It was just There was another game called SXS Trick. SSX Tricky. Yes, also a good game. 1080 had the secret unlock of the ice, of like Iceman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His name was like like ping like the ice sound oh yeah that was, that's fun so far i don't know if there's any secret characters in the tony hawk game in the original one there was an unlockable spider-man so Ooh, maybe uh, because still an unlockable spider-man maybe the original one was developed by neversoft which also made the playstation spider-man game so that's why they had spider-man in there but but that playstation spider-man game was bad wasn't it the original PlayStation Spider-Man game was not great. I think I owned it on the we PC. Had, we had the N64 version. Oh, that's right. The yes. N64 version. Anyway. And it was bad. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, Tony Hawk uh, Pro Skater 1 and 2, great game. So I have recently been playing my Byweight Pass of the last episode. Yeah. So I've been playing Coffee Noir Business Detective Game, the demo. Uh, the game is still not out and is still stating that it will be out in Q4 of 2020. Uh, so I have... Downloaded the demo, however, and I've been playing it. Played probably about an hour of it so far. It is... So when I originally saw the information about the game, I thought it was going to be a business management game where you manage a detective company, like agency. Yeah. And you invest different crimes. No. <laughs> uh, that's not what it is. It is a, a coffee business management game where you have to run a coffee empire 
and negotiate with people to get contracts. And these people you negotiate are suspects. They may know where somebody is missing. So essentially this guy is missing. So the game is set in a place called Neil London. And it's the future and everybody is obsessed with coffee. So that's pretty much the only industry is just coffee. Uh, Making it, producing it, selling it. Everyone has a cafe. It's just life. And you play as this detective who is like a hard-boiled detective who fell in love with this woman who was the wife of a rich guy and then she died and then the rich guy went missing so you have to help your dead lover's husband family to find this missing guy and in doing so you have to run a coffee empire with some detectiving on the side. But you're not running a detective agency, you're running a coffee company. It's fun. I've been enjoying it and uh it's got like those type of uh it's like a management type game where you're making sure that you're producing enough coffee for all your orders and every week you have to ship all those orders and you have to get more orders in order to make more money and so on and so forth drive revenue keep costs low and businessy things that does sound fun that sounds like your cup of tea i know you do like uh resource management and uh simulation games like that yeah they could be fun sorry it wasn't exactly what you anticipated though i know i i really want somebody to make a game where i can manage a group of detectives investigating crimes yeah i guess i could just play we are the police or the police game yes where you yes, play I think the police the we are the police we are the police which i guess is i guess they are detectives at the, the police <laughs> or you could play the law and order game that came out for the pc like i don't know 20 something years ago that's true or police quest yeah or police quest well that's that's the game that i've recently playing so we should get into the the episode here this episode was brought to us um one of our listeners named brandon who wanted to get our take on the virtual boy so we uh, appreciate the feedback as it helps us have additional topics um like we always like having additional topics to talk about uh the virtual boy is definitely up our alley um and it is it is a machine for yes, sure. Yes, it is. Done by uh, Nintendo Entertainment. We are, I I have had the pleasure of uh, playing the Virtual Boy. I have as well. And it is, uh, it's it's definitely uh, fun, I guess. <laughs> I, I, when I played it, I played fairly recently. I played it actually only about two years ago at a convention that I went to. I went to a convention and they had a bunch of uh, machines set up. And one of those machines they had was a Virtual Boy. Just sitting right there with Tolero Boxer shoved right in there. Oh. And it was a it was a time. I played Virtual Boy, I think, for the first time at a KB Toy Works. Okay. And it was set up. You just dated yourself by a lot. I don't think there's a single KB Toy Works in existence anymore. Well, it's where it was. <laughs> um, and it was uh, set up on like a, a display case. And I put my face into it. And I experienced that of the Virtual Boy. Uh, I was young and i don't think had a lot of purchasing power at the time but i don't have any memories of having regrets <laughs> about not being able to buy it but i definitely remember experience i don't think i uh, to be honest i think there was like a a space fighting game or some flying game that i played that's all i remember i think i was flying i don't remember anything else about it beyond the uh, red light bear boring into my brain yeah um and we'll talk a bit more about how the virtual boy plays and how it looks like in a moment yeah so uh, i have have an experience with the virtual boy as well that wasn't necessarily me playing it but I did want to share the story. So um, when I first moved up to Massachusetts, I moved to a town uh, not too far from Boston. And in this town, there was a retro game store. Store has since moved a couple of times. It's now in a different town, also outside of Boston. And uh, when I first arrived in the store, I was impressed by a number of things. First of all, they had a ton of old video game systems and such, many of which I was interested in. But one of the things I was kind of interested in was a virtual boy that they had behind the counter now one of the times that i first went to the store someone was there buying 
this virtual boy. They took it down off from behind the counter. They handed it to the gentleman who I remember they also gave him a box, which I believe had all the controllers in it and a couple of games and all like the cables and stuff. I remember him putting the virtual boy in the box and then he walked out of the store. And I was like, well, good for him. He bought the virtual boy. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad someone bought the virtual boy. Cut ahead maybe a week or so later, I decided to go back to the store because I wanted to visit and I had some uh, some good old uh, good old fashioned early job money that I needed to burn. And uh, who was there? But that gentleman who had returned with the virtual boy to return it to the store. <laughs> I think the virtual boy is a great nostalgic idea, but execution just just doesn't work. I, I imagine that that individual took that virtual boy home, put it on, and said, "Wow, this is." worse than i remember and then made a plan to bring it back <laughs> but, uh, immediately started throwing up so <laughs> yeah. so to get into a little bit history of the virtual boy uh the virtual boy was a nintendo based system and the technology behind the virtual boy had actually been in development since 1985. There was a prototype version called the Private Eye, which was developed by the Massachusetts-based Reflection Technology Incorporated, or RTI. The Private Eye was a stereoscopic head-tracking system, which featured a tank game. For those who don't know, stereoscopic is a technique that is done using photographs that creates an optical illusion. So what you do is you take two near identical photos, one from one angle and one from a slightly different angle. You put them close to each other. And if you set it up in a way that your eye will actually kind of merge the two pictures together, it's essentially by forcing you to cross your eyes is how stereoscopic images work. It's a kind of a nitty gritty way of faking a 3d effect um, but it doesn't work like those um images in the like highlights like those where you cross your eyes and it makes like the words appear yeah yeah kind of like that or like yeah, uh, another, if anyone's ever been to an antique store, they might have found a stereograph, which is, looks like this weird wooden stick that you put like a photo that has two images on it, and then you look through it like a like an old-fashioned Viewmaster, and that is uh, another technique. Also, I believe Viewmasters also used stereoscopic technology, um, quote-unquote, to to kind of master their their view. The, so there's stereoscopic, which is the essentially fake, or it's crossing your eyes to get a fake 3d effect right as simply put as i mean we're the classic gaming brothers we're not (laughs) scientists we're not eye scientists yeah we're not optometrists optometrists ophthalmologists but there's also like parallax do you know what the difference between stereoscopic and or what what parallax is at least in my understanding of parallax when it comes to terms in video games parallax is a technique involving and layering of sprites so when you have non-3D games can do parallax, the perfect example is in some of the early Sonic games, when you're running along, sometimes objects in the background will seem to be moving at a different, so like one object will be moving, maybe the clouds will be moving over the mountains. That would right. be, per, for an example, parallax scrolling. So that's at least my understanding of how it's done in video games. Um, usually it's a layering technique done to trick you into thinking you're seeing 3D. Again, neither stereoscopic nor parallax are true 3D. It is a optical illusion that's done to make you think you're looking at depth. So if you combine stereoscopic with parallax, you can kind of create like almost like a 3D environment. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what pr- the private eye was looking to do. So the private eye was actually demoed to Mattel, Hasbro, Sega, and Nintendo. So Sega has gone on record and stated that they declined the technology when they were demoed it because it was only a single color display, red and black, and they had concerns about severe motion sickness. So Sega looked at this and they said, no, I don't think so. This looks like a bad idea. Nintendo, however, <laughs> Nintendo is like, oh, now this, this is the next video game system <laughs> that we will make. I, I like that, like, so like, this is like, I, I imagine like in the early 90s, right, that the private eye is going and soliciting these companies. And Sega is already like, we should be already entering into like their start of like the Sega failures, right? Yeah, like they had already released the Saturn around this or no, so the, they would have been probably looking to release the Saturn around this time. So they right. were okay. already dealing with failure. 
Right, which is <laughs> funny that they they turned it away. Where Nintendo, having a very successful with Famicom and Super Famicom releases, they're cranking on all cylinders, and they decide that it's time. And the person who spearheaded the Virtual Boy was probably the right person for this to even be anywhere close to succeeding, and that was Gunpei Yokoi. Now, Gunpei Yokoi was the general manager of Nintendo's R&D One, their research and development one studio. So they had a couple of different R&D studios. R&D One was the one that mostly focused on things like the Game Boy and such. R&D Three, I believe, was the one that was working on the Nintendo 64 in the 90s. So just a little bit of Nintendo back background. So Gunpei Yokoi, who is the inventor of the Game & Watch system and the Game Boy, both massive successes for, for Nintendo. I mean, the Game & Watch came out before the original Nintendo and it was considered a huge success because it was this portable game toy that you could play with. That Gunpei Yokoi was apparently inspired by just seeing a, a, a businessman playing with his LCD watch on a train, you know, just like yeah. setting and unsetting the timer, just playing around with it mindlessly. And Gunpei Yokoi's like, why can't that be a video game system? And created the Game & Watch, <laughs> you know? Which where that Game & Watch guy is from, the character. Exactly, that's where Game & Watch comes from, from Super Smash Brothers. So Gunpei Yokoi saw this private eye device and said, this is unique technology and it's something that the competitors wouldn't be able to keep up with. And that was his idea. His idea was that he was not only going to introduce something for Nintendo that could be Nintendo's own original product, but also be something that their competitors weren't going to try to compete with. So Yokoi also was excited because he thought the Virtual Boy would be the item that would cement Nintendo's reputation as the innovator company. Which Nintendo had already kind of earned. So Gunpei Yokoi was saying Nintendo needs to be viewed as the innovator. They need to be viewed as the company that does new things with their products. Based on Yokoi's idea, Nintendo entered into an exclusive licensing agreement with RTI to use the technology for the displays. Now the Virtual Boy spent about four years in development. The design of the machine was intended to be made for affordability and health consciousness so i assume what that means from what i was reading is they really wanted the system to not make people sick let's remember that shall we the virtual boy used this red led coloring um which was actually in the original demo for the private eye device the reason this was kept was because it was the cheapest option available and the idea of the red led was also thought to provide a more immersive sense of depth. So as opposed to having other colors, which they did reportedly play around with, the most immersive sense of depth that they could get was by using red and black. Yeah, which, oh, <laughs> Yeah. It's just brutal. Like, the, the red in the Virtual Boy is just so abrasive. I felt like my eyeballs were getting rubbed with red <laughs> or with the, <laughs> it is, with the light itself it's bad it does feel like like the line graphics of the virtual boy does remind me of the targeting computer in star wars yeah yeah it does it has that kind of like 70 sci-fi aesthetic to it another interesting thing was that apparently nintendo did play around with the fact of potentially having a full color display for the virtual boy However, it would have set the system back by a substantial amount of money. Um, they wanted this thing to be affordable, and uh, it probably would have made the system cost about $600. So not exactly affordable at all. They, so they stuck with the bare minimum is, is what they did, and that kept the system's price much lower than $600. Another thing about the Virtual Boy was notably during development, Nintendo wasn't really fully involved or committed to it. The company was largely focused on the Nintendo 64, and lead game developer Shigeru Miyamoto was equally focused on the launch of that system. And Miyamoto was, was notorious for trying to get into projects that he felt were significant for Nintendo's growth. He really liked to step in and kind of make himself known and, and help where he could when it came to a big project. And he was completely almost ignoring this project. Due to all of this, these factors, Yokoi reluctantly had to downscale his total vision for the Virtual Boy to what it eventually became in its final form. The Virtual Boy was eventually released in 1995, and it was marketed as one of the first consoles capable of displaying the stereoscopic 3D graphics. And if anyone's ever seen the virtual boy it looks kind of like what you'd imagine a virtual reality system would look like at least from the 90s it kind of looks like a head mounted display and what you do is you place your head against the eyepiece to see the monochrome display inside 
Another thing about the Virtual Boy, and we'll get into this a little later, is that only 22 games were released for the system. Which is not a lot of games. No, no, not at all. So, uh, yeah, there were 22 games, and that was it in total across the world. 14 of those games were released in America. And they were released, at least the Virtual Boy was released in probably one of the greatest packages that I've ever seen. Oh yeah, I love it. It's so ugly. (laughs) It screams 1990s at you. It clearly states Virtual Boy in the middle of the box, and the box is split red and blue, which is fun because, as you know, there is no blue. Uh, <laughs> there's only red. The red section is the head, the viewfinder, I guess, that you would put your face into. Um, and it calls out high resolution 3D graphics and 32 bit uh, disk processor. Risk disk processor? Risk processor. A, a risk processor is a reduced instruction set computer. It, I really don't know why they were that interested in promoting this, but Virtual Boy had one. And maybe they, would, they were hoping that people would get confused with the 32 bit processor. Maybe. <laughs> Um, it also has that Mario Tennis is inside. Then below is blue and is the controller that comes with it, which is a, looks like a, a slim down GameCube controller without the analog sticks. Yeah. So the, the Virtual Boy controller is actually kind of weird because if you just look at it and then look away, you're like, oh yeah, that's a normal video game controller. If you take a closer look at it, it has two D-pads, one for the right hand and one for the left hand. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Well, you know, they have multiple D-pads. No, wait, does any other controller have multiple D-pads? Not really. I mean, the GameCube has- Multiple analog sticks. The GameCube has uh, the multiple analog sticks and then the N64 had the C buttons, which were shaped in kind of a deep pad arrangement, but they weren't D buttons. Yeah, that's true. It's just a little bizarre. A little bizarre. D being directional. Yes, yes, right? yes. Just in case anybody's wondering what D buttons are, it's for directional buttons. And then it says there's a, a power up uh, announcement that says you can have a special mail-in offer where you can mail in to receive six Duracell batteries from Nintendo. Damn. Right next to batteries not included. (laughs) So there is a giant picture of a battery and says six Duracell batteries. And then the power up Virtual Boy system special mail and offer is kind of a yellow text. But the text that is easily read is six Duracell batteries. And then in this really red background blue lettering it says batteries not included so it almost looks like there are six batteries included but they are not and you're gonna be mad when you get home and there's no six batteries and you have to mail in to get batteries there's also uh, a call out for digital stereo sound and at the bottom of the box it says eye advisory eye being like your eyeball advisory virtual boy is for players seven years and older so okay you have to be why seven is what i'm wondering like what is that that hard line where they went well by the time you're seven your eyes are pretty much fully developed so we can just if you're six years old and you use the virtual boy you are gone (laughs) six and a half i just too too risky so it's just like yeah i i feel like maybe they like maybe that was like their legal department were like ah seven years and up <laughs> just don't let it one thing that's interesting now that i'm thinking about this packaging and in just the virtual boy in general seth if you scroll up a little bit you'll see a picture of the virtual boy that you've included in the notes oh yes yep yeah i did i want you to think about this picture and then i want you to answer this question how portable is the system i it's not portable at all so why is the portability one of the things that they seem to be emphasizing with the fact that you can mail in for six batteries oh no i think it just doesn't plug in (laughs) no it had a plug oh why why would you need six batteries for because apparently it's portable uh if you're if you're at all wondering what the virtual boy looks like um it's a a, a red I, I would only describe this as like a plastic red viewfinder from star wars like the binoculars that luke has mounted on a tiny tripod so the tripod was probably about i want to say like based on my memory six to six inches high listeners you can correct us it was less than if a you foot. remember like yeah. i'm like 90 percent sure it's less than a foot tall yeah you need like an appropriately sized table to either sit at or stand 
stand at. Or you need to lie down on the ground like a weirdo <laughs> with your virtual boy. But great, you could get your batteries and head out to the park where you could play your virtual boy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a weird looking system. Like what? Like I just want to know what was going through Nintendo's mind when they're trying to design this thing. And they're just like, how could we make this look the most anti-social device we've ever built yeah why don't you hang out with your friends while one of them stares into the void <laughs> you know you know that fun activity of watching your friends play video games you want to never do that again oh uh, and we only have 14 games so you could probably guess which ones they're playing it's <laughs> bad well, um speaking it, of those 14 games oh uh, yeah so yeah speaking of those 14 games do you want to tell us about the game that is on the box cover mario tennis i do mario tennis now mario tennis was a game developed by nintendo in 1995 it was a pack-in for the north american market of the virtual boy if you can't figure out from the name you play tennis with mario and his friends including princess toadstool also known as peach luigi yoshi toad and donkey kong jr's in there for some reason i don't think he plays tennis ever again with them <laughs> maybe because it was on no virtual donkey boy. kong just junior yeah no donkey kong just junior actually the reason for that would have been because donkey kong country was a rare product and nintendo was distancing some themselves from rare fun fact oh i see. so they still had donkey kong jr anyway the game is played from a third person view not a first person view as you might expect from a vr game <laughs> but, you know from behind the player you are playing so it's kind of like you're watching someone play tennis <laughs> Well, you also control them with the powers of God. Though, fun fact, this was the first Mario game that featured tennis. And it was also credited with starting the Mario Sports subseries. So if you ever... Which are popular. Yeah, they're fun. I mean, I love Mario Tennis for the N64. There was also um, Mario Strikers, I think, for the GameCube, where you played soccer or football. You can for get them all European. for the... They do all the sports for the Switch, too. Like, Mario Tennis for the Switch yeah, is really they're fun. they're great. They're great games. But, like, had to start somewhere, I guess. Yeah. And that somewhere was Virtual Boy. <laughs> yeah. Another game for the system was uh, 3D Tetris. Now, Tetris was hugely popular. Um, on the Game Boy, so naturally Tetris has to come to the Virtual Boy. Because when I think VR, Seth, I think of Falling Blocks puzzle games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. watching tennis and playing Tetris. That's right. Uh, so... That's what I want to do in virtual reality. <laughs> That's right. So 3D Tetris was a 1996 puzzle game developed by a company called TNE Soft. And uh, 3D Tetris is very similar to the standard Tetris game, but with an added twist. You're placing blocks. All the blocks are red. <laughs> yes, all the blocks are red, <laughs> and you're placing them in the third dimension. Ooh. Ooh. People didn't like this. It received mostly negative reviews, with some people calling it eye straining, and other people's calling it frustrating. <laughs> I feel like the commentary of eye straining is pretty much just default commentary yeah. on every virtual boy yeah. game you can widely assume that most people were not big fans of any of these games for that reason yeah it's not that the games were bad some of the games were bad <laughs> most of the games but... were bad <laughs> let's give them benefit of right. doubt there most of them were bad but all of them stranger eyes uh, and this game would would probably have been pretty frustrating so the way you're placing blocks in the third dimension is the sense that if you look at it it's kind of like i'm pretty sure you can rotate the view but it's like Imagine Tetris, but instead of being a square, you're playing in a cube. So now you have to fill in the bottom in, in the cube. So you're trying to get Tetris three-dimensionally across this cube. You get what I'm saying? It, it's, it's hard to even explain. It just doesn't work for Tetris, which is supposed to be a 2D puzzle game. Another 2D game that was brought to the Virtual Boy or is a Virtual Boy product was Virtual Boy Wario Land, which was uh, released in 1995, developed in-house by Nintendo. Wario Land is a platforming game starring everyone's favorite evil Mario, Wario. So if you take the M and turn it upside down, you get Wario. He is trying to find treasure in the Awamazon, which is like Amazon, but Wario'd. Which, funny enough, when I think about this now, I know that Wario in 1995 is going through, like, the rainforest. But now, when I look at it in 2020... I feel like he's just in a warehouse <laughs> and like that's <laughs> and he's trying to find treasure in like Amazon because I feel like stealing from Amazon's a very like on brand Wario thing to do yeah. but going through the Amazon rainforest is I don't feel like Wario would want to do that like anyway the game is a side scrolling platform in 3D like so it is a 2D side scrolling platform game on the virtual boy <laughs> 
which has 3D stereoscopic view, the... 3D gimmick of the game is that sometimes Wario would enter the background of the game because it's in 3D using parallax. So he would like go into the background and then come back because different things were at different depths or looked like they were at different depths. So the game was good to the point where people want it to be re-released, just not on the Virtual Boy. (laughs) I have like a, a screenshot of it and it you, it is just, it's just Mario and it's, well, it's Wario in just red. It's just black and red. If you looked at it, you would just say like, oh, is that just a Mario game being played on someone's broken TV? <laughs> no. If you like, it's not. if you like color corrected this so that it was like monochrome greenish, then it would look like a Game Boy color, or like a Game Boy game, like an original Game Boy yeah. game. Yeah, agreed. There was a another game on the virtual boy called Telero Boxer, which is the game that Zachary actually played at a convention. It is. Which is fun that I'm talking about it. Uh, it was uh, developed also by Nintendo, and it was a first-person game, which is in VR, so that's cool. <laughs> wow, that's unique. It is a first-person boxing game, and it is one of the few games, now there's only 14, so yeah, um, <laughs> that are in first-person for the Virtual Boy. Uh, it received mostly mixed reviews, being that there were mostly positive reviews, but there was also a decent amount, there was also some negative reviews. A lot of the negative reviews had to do with the, it making people feel nauseous. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> which is kind of part of the course for the virtual boy here. So the game takes place in the 22nd century where people control robots to do tasks that humans shouldn't do, such as boxing, I guess. So Dr. Edward Maki Jr. created a boxing ring for robots so that humans can possess robots and box. Uh, The box art for the game is uh, is pretty fun. It's got this uh, angry-looking robot with like he's very metal obviously since he's a robot and he's got these like Darth Maul nodules on his head and he's got his fist thrown out and it says the name the game the name of the game Teleroboxer it is kids through adults rated by the ESRB I have a little screenshot here and it looks like you're fighting a robot underwater like there's just looks like there's bubbles coming out of it but you're probably not fighting him in underwater no. it just looks yeah. weird yeah but it does definitely doesn't look like you're fighting them underwater yeah it does it does it looks like he has little bubbles coming out of his head but maybe the, yeah maybe he's like a water robot no I I think it's just probably circles that represent something else. Um, From the cover art to the gameplay, it doesn't truly... The robot kind of becomes a little more silly. Kind of looks like an owl. Well, I think there's different robots you fight. That's true. There's probably different robots. So maybe you fight this cool guy on the cover once. But yeah, so that's Teleroboxer, a game that some people thought was okay. Another game that came out for the Virtual Boy that some people thought was okay was Mario Clash, which was released in 1995 and developed in-house by Nintendo. Mario Clash is a remake of the original Mario Brothers arcade game, which, you know, didn't really need to be in 3D, <laughs> but I guess it is now, so it's got that going for it. And when I said that other people kind of liked it, I-, I mean it received overall mixed reviews, <laughs> so it's not like people hated it. I think the biggest complaint was that it's, you know, on the Virtual Boy and an eye strain. <laughs> Pretty much a common theme here. Yeah. So the last game on this list that we have here is actually the only game that we're going to talk about that was not released in the United States or Europe. It was only released in Japan, and that's Innsmouth no Yakata. Innsmouth no Yakata was released in 1995 and developed by B-Top published by IMAX, not to be confused with the major motion studio that per- creates giant-sized films. Different IMAX. It has This one has an apostrophe. Insomouth no Yakata is also a first-person game, and it's a horror game as well, which is pretty cool. And it's loosely based on H.P. Lovecraft's Shadow over Insmith, which, interesting Jap- Japanese-exclusive <laughs> title to have, is a title based on a H.P. Lovecraft book, but nonetheless, it's played kind of like a dungeon crawler, 
you move from one screen to the next and you fight monsters, HP Lovecraft kind of monsters. And the reception to the game was overall mixed. Majority of the critical contemporary reviews from the uh, magazines such as Famitsu and VB Guide uh, criticized the game for being on the Virtual Boy and having an eye strain and also just kind of general gameplay mechanics that they thought weren't great. But it was viewed positively for the ambition and uniqueness of the title. I mean, it's pretty cool that it's a horror first person title on the Virtual Boy of all places. So neat little thing. Yeah. So though Zach did mention something about how the game was not released in America or Europe. And in fact, no Virtual Boy games were released in Europe because there was no PAL release of Virtual Boy. It was only released in the North American and Japanese markets. So what you're saying is Europe was spared. <laughs> the Virtual Boy disaster. I, who knows if they were planning on bringing it to Europe. Maybe. But let's talk about the reception. <laughs> <laughs> so a Nintendo said that the Virtual Boy would, quote, totally immerse the player into their their own private universe and they priced the virtual boy system at $179.95 or in today's money $310.41 less than the quest 2 right yeah it's cheaper and the ps5 yeah, and the yeah. xbox series x or whatever they're calling the newest xbox this was cheaper than a brand new console in the day right yeah you know like if you're looking n64 got out of the rip at $199 so $179 is still cheaper but so it was cheaper than the brand new console. It was, though, more expensive than a Game Boy. It kind of straddled between the two of the home console and the portable Game Boy. And really, it's kind of, it was kind of Nintendo's point, right? Nintendo wanted that, like that mid-tier system, I guess. One uh, news agency at the time actually described the Virtual Boy as the evolution of something that we mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Viewmaster 3D Image Viewer. If you don't recall ever using a Viewmaster, you, you might have. It was that chunky piece of plastic that you put up to your eyeballs and put a thin slideshow reel into the front yeah. of it as you played through and it looked like you were wearing like weird binoculars and you saw images in the viewfinder i remember using them and i think we had one and they were fun you could buy them at antique stores they're fun for like 10 minutes yeah they're they're a neat little gimmick toy you know it's something to i wouldn't use one for more than 10 minutes because honestly you'd go through the slides about 30 times (laughs) that's true (laughs) i meant if you had like a collection of slides you could play for, for 10 minutes so when they went to go uh release the virtual boy nintendo of America projected that they would sell 1.5 million units at launch. So they they were looking to move this unit. Yeah. So they didn't uh, hit those numbers. Uh, in fact, they shipped only 350,000 units by the end of December of 1995, which was about three and a half months after it was released in August. In fact, uh, in in 2007, a magazine, GamePro, listed it as number five in the worst-selling console of all time. It did sell better than the Philips CDI, which we did an episode on, episode 49. Yeah, that's good. So out of all the consoles, it's not the worst, it's not the best, it is decidedly in the middle of the pack. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, Classic Gaming Brothers fans, we will be excited to bring you all of the worst selling consoles of all time (laughs) at some point that is a classic gaming promise it is a classic gaming promise in fact we've talked about four out of the ten worst selling consoles of all time according to this magazine (laughs) um the Dreamcast, the Saturn, the Philips CDI, and now the Virtual Boy. So look forward to future episodes where we talk about six other consoles that also had very poor sales. Nice. Oh, man. I want to get into like the weird, weird stuff that's not even on that list. I want to talk about like Ouya. Oh, yes. I remember the Ouya. Everyone remembers the Ouya, but no one bought the Ouya. <laughs> so how did Nintendo plan on selling 1.5 million units at launch with a promised sale of an additional million units by the end of the year. How did they plan on doing this? Well, they spent a lot of money. In fact, Nintendo spent about $25 million on promoting the product, and they actually targeted older audiences, possibly trying to tap into their consumer that they know were aging as they released more consoles over time, who may also be interested in getting cutting-edge technology, or they were attempting to target to people who wouldn't be damaged by the 
ray effects of the virtual boy. Since media at that time and still mostly is a 2D format, the virtual boy is a 3D experience, Nintendo was feeling that they weren't able to necessarily maximize the value of what the virtual boy was through standard media such as television or print. It's hard to convey a 3D immersive, total immersive experience through print media or television commercials. So Nintendo got together with NBC and a very popular company known as Blockbuster to run a promotion. Blockbuster, for any of our fans who are younger, is a, is a store that used to rent video cassette tapes and DVDs for a price. Kind of like Netflix, except you had to pay for every rental instead of a monthly fee. It's also kind of like Netflix, except you had to actually talk to someone. And had to go somewhere. So, Blockbuster, which is a wonderful place, and NBC got together with Nintendo, and Nintendo spent gave $5 million to NBC to run a television advertising campaign to convince video gamers to go out and rent the Virtual Boy at one of the 3,000 Blockbuster locations uh, for just $10 where they would be able to experience the Virtual Boy. And in fact, they were going to do one better. And for every $10 rental that you did, well, I assume just the one, you would, you, so you'd rent the, the Virtual Boy for $10, you'd bring it home and you'd try it out. When you brought it back, you would get $10 off your own Virtual Boy. Which Not bad. Blockbuster sold. So you could get it for a hundred. Well, you, you would still be paying $179, but you would be technically getting it for $169, which is a, a great deal, right? Yeah. So you get to try it out and then you get 10 bucks off of it. Perhaps you would even be able to buy the one that you tried though. Ooh. Zachary, when we were writing the notes said that it'd be kind of gross renting a <laughs> virtual boy since you put your face right on it. Maybe I'm just thinking about this in like COVID context but like even when you were talking about like demoing it at a kb toys i was like oh <laughs> like it's all right i was a kid i was immune to everything that's right so blockbuster actually recorded seven hundred and fifty thousand. and this is an important number to remember blockbuster recorded seven hundred and fifty thousand rentals but no one was actually buying these virtual boys after they were done by the middle of 1996 which is the year that is after 1995 which was the year that virtual boy came out blockbuster was selling their virtual boys for 50 dollars a pop because blockbuster owned them and they wanted to get rid of them as much as everybody else wanted to get rid of theirs overall the virtual boy was a commercial failure it sold only 770,000 units in its life of the system blockbuster recorded 750,000 rentals of this of this virtual boy and the virtual boy sold only 770,000 units and i guarantee all of them did not come from that blockbuster rental <laughs> marketing campaign and in fact that blockbuster marketing campaign is deemed one of one of the main failures of the virtual boy it was a bad it was just a bad the only person that made out in that was nbc <laughs> yeah nbc's like hey we got money we didn't lose anything so not only did the system performed poorly in sales it was just a, a just a strange machine that had nothing going for it it wasn't really portable it was a solo experience where you couldn't even enjoy the company of others or play multiplayer games with it was expensive and the entire 3d effect not only wasn't that great didn't add value to the games it in fact caused people to become sick many of those who reviewed the games that were on the virtual boy spoke about experiencing dizziness nausea headaches and there is even a magazine tech web that said the virtual boy could cause sickness flashbacks and even permanent brain damage now i have a friend who 100 percent blames his inability to distinguish red and green because of his heavy usage of the virtual boy at the end of the day virtual reality presented in the 90s was a neat trick but it was not ready for prime time virtual reality is is now coming into prime time today and it is 25 years later from the virtual boy with i think really true virtual experiences only appearing in the market as of i would say not only five years ago i would yeah, say yeah absolutely probably... i mean even even early vr games on things like the ps vr which was one of the earlier affordable vr systems that was available even early games on that weren't like some of the vr stuff that's coming out today like half-life alex or star wars squadrons and it only it, it was only in life was from 95 to 96 at least nintendo figured out pretty quick that it was time to pull the plug on it immediately after releasing it 
it. Yeah, if Nintendo has something going for it that Sega didn't have, it was that Nintendo could identify a failure pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, Sega liked to keep their things on life support. Nintendo was just like, hold up, that was a mistake, pull that back. <laughs> Very true, which you could even compare that kind of almost directly to the Dreamcast and the Dreamcast being kind of still having stuff developed for it after it was end of life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was the Virtual Boy. Uh, thank you, Brandon, for bringing us down this rabbit hole of a, of a bizarre little splotch on Nintendo's history. I think we're going to get into our buy weight Pass segment, and then we're going to wrap things up. So wrap Seth, up. what are you excited about buying, waiting, or passing on? Uh, so a game that I discovered while looking for my buy weight Pass, as I often do, uh, is a game called Orwell's Animal Farm. Hey, that's a book. It is also an adventure game. Ooh. <laughs> where all the animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. <laughs> just like the book and just like life. Uh, so you, it, you immerse yourself in this game in George Orwell's story of absolute power and corruption and following the ups and downs of animalism. It is interesting to bring the literary novel of Animal Farm, which is, I would say, one of my more beloved classic literary books. I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite novel, but I would say in like all of classic literature, it is the one that I enjoy reading. I, I have not read Animal Farm. I've read 1984, so I've read other books by, or another book by Orwell. In my personal opinion, and we are not an Orwell's podcast, Animal Farm is better than 1984. And by better, I mean it is easier to read. I enjoyed Animal Farm 1984. I also enjoyed until they got to the part where they were reading a book inside of the book, and then I kind of lost interest. Animal Farm I completed, though. So it is being uh, developed by a Nereal, which looks like they have produced uh, a game called Reigns, which they have a bunch of different type of expansions for, and a game called Card Shark. They look like uh, they're pretty simple looking games that are actually pretty cheap. So maybe Animal Farm will also be cheap. <laughs> Classic gaming bargain. <laughs> Classic gaming bargain. But I'm I'm super excited um, that I could play as like Napoleon and try to run the Animal Farm. I I'm I'm gonna put this game down as a wait. If it is really cheap and I'm really feeling the mood, uh, I may pick it up. I may be distracted by other games that are out or coming out. That's very for fair. A long time and may have forgot. I may forget about this game, so it may end up being a pass. But for now, we'll put it down as a wait. And I'll, I'll wish, I've definitely wishlist it. So when it comes out soon, uh, it's actually out, but pod time is weird. It came out December 10th. So maybe I would have bought it in the future, but I don't know my future self. I only know my past self. Fair enough. Present. So you, what what would you like to uh, buy weight pass? The game I want to buy weight pass is a game called Humans Took My Neighbors, which is due out in October of 2021. And it's being developed and published by Heron Games. Now, Human Took My Neighbors is uh, a really cool looking game. In the game, humans have taken your neighbors in this 2D top-down action game. And you'll go through the neighborhood saving as many monsters as you can, fighting humans who are ready to kill every monster they see. And as you progress through the levels, maybe you're going to find the cause for this invasion of humans. The reason I am very excited about this game, and the reason I'm going to put it down as a as a buy, is because it reminds me a lot, and the intention is definitely there, of Zombies Ate My Neighbors, a great game for the Super Nintendo. It was also released on the Sega Genesis, but we played the Super Nintendo version at a family friend's. And Zombies Ate My Neighbors is, is it's a fantastic top-down shooter where you play as a human trying to save your neighbors from from monsters. I like this uh, subversion to this story, where now you're the monster trying to save your neighbors from the humans who've come and are attacking. Seems like a very fun story. Uh, seems like a fun game. I love the aesthetic. It's got that kind of Super Nintendo 16-bit art style. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot, so I'm going to put it down as a buy. I, I actually, the like, just looking at the logo of it is Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Yeah, the logo is 100% just the same as Zombies Ate My Neighbors. So yeah, I love the that. same text with the the red spiral in the background and the green slime green text 
on the front there. It's definitely uh, Zombies Ain't My Neighbors. So that will do it. That's the show. That's the show for today, everybody. That's all she wrote for today. Do you want to tell people how they can contact us, listen to us, and support us? Yes, Seth. I do want to tell people how they can contact us, listen to us, and support us. If you want to contact us, listen to us, and support us, there's plenty of ways that you can do this. If you want to contact us, then be sure to visit our website, ClassicGamingBrothers.com. We have a contact form on that website. You can fill in your information, send us a uh, contact form, and it will go to our email. Now, if you want to bypass that contact form and send us a direct email, you can send that email to ClassicGamingBrothers at gmail.com or ClassicGamingBrothers at ClassicGamingBrothers.com or Seth at ClassicGamingBrothers.com or Zach at ClassicGamingBrothers.com. I think info at ClassicGamingBrothers.com might work too. Let's say you send us an email and, and you have some nice things to say. Let's say you have some things that you want to say about this podcast. Maybe you have some critical things to say. Maybe you just want to tell Seth and I that we have beautiful voices or maybe you want to say, Zach, you did not sound your usual self this episode. And I'd say that's ridiculous. But you know what? That's a valid criticism. And we'll take that criticism. And we'll put your name in a hat and we'll draw your name for a chance to win a free video game. Look at that. Look at that. You've already entered into a chance to win a free video game. All you have to do is reach out to us and tell us some stuff, you know? It's pretty good. Uh, you're listening to this episode right now, right? You're listening to this on one of your favorite podcast applications. Maybe you're listening to this on CastBox or, or iTunes or the Amazon uh, podcast application, but you want to tell people about this episode and you want to tell people about the show. Well, the good news is we're on we're on CastBox, we're on Stitcher, we're on Amazon Podcasts, we're on iTunes, we're on everything. It's great. If there's anything that we're not on, let's say you found this really obscure podcasting application that no one's heard of besides you. Maybe it's your application. Maybe you built a podcasting application. Good for you. I'm proud of you. You did a great job. Let us know. And, and we'll we'll try our best to get on it. Maybe we'll be in contact with you if it's your app. I mean, who knows? In any case, if there's an application out there that we're not on, we'll aim to be on it. And that's a classic gaming promise. That's how you can contact us. That's how you can listen to us. Now, if you want to support us, there's plenty of ways you can support us. The most important way you can support us is you can tell people about this podcast. You can tell three friends. As Seth likes to say, if you like something, you tell three people. If you don't like something, you tell more. And hey, if you tell more people, that's also great for us too so even if you don't like it tell as many people as you want another thing that you should do is you should go to our social media we have a facebook page we have an instagram page and we have a twitter page facebook and instagram are classic gaming brothers twitter is cg brothers pod like us and follow us on all those ring bells do all those things you can follow us on youtube youtube.com I believe it's forward slash classic gaming brothers also twitch.tv forward slash classic gaming brothers that's our twitch we stream occasionally there it's not very regular we've tried to do a little better uh, since our anniversary episode, we've made a promise that we'll be a little more active on Twitch and we are aiming for that. Um, so we, we have tried to stream a couple things more recently, but we're, we're looking to stream some more stuff as we go forward. Also, we have a store. I keep forgetting about that. We have a store, classicgamingbrothers.com. If you go to our store, we have plenty of merch there. Uh, we have a mug. We have a t-shirt. My definition of plenty is two. Seth, I think that's yes. it. I think that's everything. Everything that I wanted to talk about. Anything you can think of? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. We have been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. From Blockbuster Video, Nintendo, and NBC, it's the must-see 3D sweepstakes. Your chance to rent the new Virtual Boy at Blockbuster Video and win. Hollywood dream trips to NBC shows, free Virtual Boy systems, and thousands of prizes. Rent Virtual Boy now and receive a special $10 coupon. Enter the must-see 3D sweepstakes at Blockbuster Video.